Ag State of Mind, episode 23. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast. A member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we continue our series that is featuring Missouri producers and influencers. And I feel like I rushed last week's episode a little bit, the intro. Caroline was launching her new podcast, and I just wanted to make sure and get everything done on time for that to make sure we uh, had had a good lead-in for her and a good uh, way for her to tell her, her story to the listeners of this show. So uh, I kind of rushed my, my why for doing this, and uh, I think the biggest reason I can say for that is I am a very proud Missourian, and I'm very proud of the agricultural heritage that this state has. I feel like it's one of the more diverse agricultural states in the country. Anybody who may not be familiar, you can stand somewhere in Missouri in 100 miles and it can be a completely different landscape 100 miles away. And uh, I think that's a, a very unique part of, of this state. And I think it's what a part of what makes our states very special. So I just, I, I really love this state. I really love, I'm born and raised, never lived anywhere else but Missouri. And uh, I just kind of wanted to share my passion for this state and how much it means to me with, with the listeners of the show. So uh, after that introduction, um, I will introduce today's guest. And that is my good friend, Carrie Portel. She is our second repeat guest. She uh, was guest on episode three of the Ag State of Mind podcast. She has been a wonderful influence and supporter of me and this show and the mission that we are trying to do here. I am just so thankful for her being a part of this journey with me and being able to talk to her and let her know some of the things that's going on and her being a cheerleader for me and knowing I have her support, somebody who has done some pretty great things, um, is really been a big part of me doing things I've done. So uh, we talked to her today. If you want a little bit of a background, like I said, go back to episode three. If you're not familiar with Carrie and episode three of this, we'll uh, link that in the show notes and uh, you can go back and listen to her our conversation about her background, about about why she began telling her story. And today we talk about a little bit about her public speaking and how that came about. She's a wonderful public speaker and has spoken at Missouri FFA. And she talks today about how she is uh, going to be speaking at Iowa State and, you know, who knows how far she's going to go in the future. I'm really excited for her. So uh, uh, we talked to her about, about that. And she also, something else that I'm uh, really passionate about is opioids and their effect on not just the agriculture community but on the rural community in general and Carrie with all of the all the pain and surgeries that she's been through as a result from a car wreck has has had a lot of experience using them and uh, she wrote a recent blog post about them and um, how she's been able to overcome her overuse of opioids and uh, it was a really powerful conversation that her and I had, and I'm really excited for everyone to to be able to listen to this. So uh, here we go with uh, my conversation with my friend, Carrie Portel. 
Hi, Carrie. Thanks for coming on again today. I had such a fun time recording with you the last time I decided I wanted to do it again. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me back. Yeah, well, obviously, I had such a good response from the first time that I was more than happy to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. So what we didn't really get to the last time and is, is how you got started. We may have talked about it just briefly, but I wanted to get more into it about how you started your, your public speaking gig and how, you know, what prompted you to start that and what it was like trying to, trying, I mean, public speaking is scary. I think for most people and to kind of maybe overcome that fear and, and you've gotten so prolific at it now that uh, it just seems like it comes easy to you now. But I, I'm sure from what I know about the things that I've done that's, that are hard, it's, it's never easy. So I just want to hear how that got started and where, how you've grown in that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big question that a lot of people have, especially like people who've known me my whole life because public speaking is the very last thing ever that they thought I would be doing because I, I'm a naturally introverted, quiet person. I'm still like that. I just have to, I have to push myself um, to do the public speaking. But how that really started out was my biggest question during the first two years of my recovery was I knew that like in my beliefs, um, God does not leave you on this earth unless he has something else for you to do. And I never asked, you know, why did this happen to me? My question always was, well, what am I supposed to be doing for you? Because obviously, I mean, this was a horrific car crash and it was a fatal one, but yet I'm still here. So that was my biggest question. And after like somewhere in that third year, I started kind of getting that feeling of, hey, that you're, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to take all this, you know, these lessons that you've learned, all the challenges and hardships, and you're supposed to be sharing them. And when I first started hearing that, I was like, no, that's not what I wanted to hear. So no, um, you know, and I just kind of, I bantered back and forth with God about that, but I wasn't quite really sure that's what he was saying. And it was in, in that fourth year I really started getting a push from people in our community saying, you know, Carrie, people don't understand everything that you have gone through, you know, with anybody in any kind of situation, nobody ever sees that other side, like the intimate, you know, details that you go through. And they're like, you just have so many lessons that you can teach people. So it was kind of between, you know, some members of the community that I really respected and God saying the same exact thing that the community was saying that it was at the end of that fourth year. And like, I was just so frustrated. I'm like, cause I had a four year recovery from that car crash. So that's basically all I did for four years to cover. And finally one day I was like, God, just tell me, I'm like, I, I am tired of this going back and forth. Just tell me 100%. What am I supposed to be doing? And I'm telling you, it was as if somebody was standing in front of me and it was as clear as could be. And I just sat there. And at first I was like, gosh, dang it. I was like, are you sure? I'm like, you know who I am. I'm quiet. I don't like to be in front of people. I don't like attention. And this is what you're asking me to do. And in the, in the very next second, I went from shaking my head no to nodding my head yes. And I was like, okay, fine. All right. 
let's do this. And that is how it started. (laughs) Yeah. So from that moment on, I had my first community member say, hey, if you're interested, I have this youth conference that I would really like you to speak at. And it's only 20 minutes long. And his only 20 minutes long, I was like, I have to speak for 20 minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm going to die up there. And now, four years later, I'm like, wait a minute, 20 minutes is totally not enough time. I need an hour. So I have completely done a, a 180 from that whole situation. And in the meantime, um, so that was, I think, in December that he had me scheduled for that. My kids' high school called, and I, it was at the end of October. And the lady said, Hey, we've got an assembly next week and I want you to be the speaker. And I was really like, holy poop. Are you serious? I have like five days, five days to get ready for my first ever speaking event in front of three of my children in the audience. I'm like, what am I doing? So let me, let me <laughs> stop you right there. Let me stop you right there. Did you have anything written yeah. down on paper at that point? Did you have any idea what, like what it was to give a speech? Not a thing. I had not a clue. And the only thing that I could come up with was to tell, like, I went back to whenever I had the photography studio. Mm-hmm. And whenever I saw the people looking at the photos that I took, the ones where they had the most emotion are the ones that they they loved and were so enthralled with. So, like, I took that, my experience from having that business and I said, okay, the only thing that is going to make these kids listen is if I tell them how it feels to go through a situation that I've been through, you know, that where somebody else has made a choice for me and then has left me with the consequences. If I can get them to feel the emotion of what, it likes, what it's like to go through that, then I think I will have a connection. And I didn't know if that was the right thing or not. I had no flipping clue. I mean, none. So, and, and same thing. She's like, 25 minutes. That's all I need. And, you know, I was up there and I was like, just ready to poop myself. It was so scary. <laughs> and I think even though like that was such a huge decision to make for my very first presentation ever, it, it was the best decision I ever made because why wouldn't I want to do my very first one that was so emotional in front of my three kids to say, look, look how far we've come. You know, it's been four years, but I'm telling you, like I was a nervous wreck. I was up there and I will, I will never forget the feeling because how it happened was I had, you know, a few bullet points on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And I remembered looking down at them. And it's, I mean, it's like I was out in, in the wind. It was shaking so hard. Mm-hmm. And I got out these words. I said, hi, my name is Carrie Portell and I'm from right here in St. James. And that was it. My throat closed off oh My gosh! and I could not like, it was the biggest lump ever. And it was, I swear to you, Jason, it was like, I was in slow motion. I didn't know what to do. I panicked my throat closed and I looked up and down the bleachers of the 500 kids and I caught my daughter Olivia's eyes. She was in the front row and her eyes were swimming 
And apparently I was like breathing very heavily into the microphone. I didn't even know it. (laughs) And I looked over at the lady who had asked me to come and she looked at me and she said, Carrie, you can do this. And like something happened, like my throat opened and I was like, yes, I can. And I went through the 25 minutes and I survived. And like the response after that, I was like, oh my God, people are listening. They actually listened. And, and then pretty soon, you know, after that one, I had by Burnham school call. And then I did the youth um, event in Cuba. And then after that, it was, I didn't seek out any speaking events, like none. I only took the ones that came to me, but it was coming enough. Like people were talking about it and they're like, we need you. We need you. We need you. And like 100% that first year of speaking it was really totally for my benefit. It was Mm. uh, a purge and heal process because every time that I let a little bit more out of my heart, I would feel like, okay, I, I feel better. Like I just healed a little bit more. I didn't realize that all this stuff still hurt so bad until I actually said it out loud. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And then, you know, as the more I did it, I could actually concentrate on the audience that I was speaking to and I could read their faces and their expressions. And now it's all about them. This is the most awesome thing I've ever done in my life. And boy, has it made me grow. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll have to ask you when you said something like that, it kind of hit something with me and sometimes we can do something. We can, we can create something. We can go down a path and it totally makes us a different and better person. Did you find that speaking out, telling your story in front of so many people, whether they were familiar with you or familiar with the story or not, did that serve as a sort of therapy to you? Uh, 100%. Like that first year, it just, that's really what it felt like. Uh, because I never, I never actually went to a therapist during my recovery, um, I remember the highway patrol called and said, we have people that you can talk to, but Jason, I, I was in so much physical pain Mm -hmm. and like pretty soon after that, like the emotional pain felt just as bad as the physical pain, but I was having so many surgeries and recovering from them. Like I wouldn't remember from one day to the next because of, you know, all the anesthesia and the pain meds that you're on from those surgeries. Right what I even did. And I thought, well, gosh, am I even going to remember talking to anybody? I'm like, people come and visit me and I don't even remember that they were here. So I ended up, what I did was, uh, my husband went and got me a journal and he's like, just write everything out, everything. And that is the best thing that I ever could have done Mm -hmm. for myself Mm -hmm. during those four years was just write it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just get it all out of your head. That way things make, you know, and I've, I've written about this before in blog posts um, about how much journaling has helped me. And it seems so silly to do like, you know, just write your thoughts down on paper. I mean, I mean, what am I, a 12 year old girl, you know, I mean, but it's <laughs> super helpful to get that kind of that fog out of your brain. You don't even know what, like, so say something's bothering you and you don't, you know, I think everybody can kind of relate to this. Say something's bothering you. Say something is, is really like you, you feel bad, but you don't know why. 
And then you, you start listing out the things that maybe you're anxious or sad or, or mad about. And you start writing that and you write down on paper. And then all of a sudden you've, you've written two or three pages and most importantly, you feel better and you get maybe yeah. a little bit of solace and a little bit of just, just satisfaction out of knowing that you've kind of gotten to the root of your problem. Yeah, I think that right there is the the key point. You have got to be open enough and like let that fear go to actually get to the root of the problem. Yeah. And like you said, you know, pretty soon you're two or three pages in, and you're like, whoa, like mm-hmm. how did I get all that out? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's but yeah, journaling, so like helpful. I go back now and Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause there are times like, you know, like you said, you're just, you've got all these thoughts swimming in your head and they just keep going round and round and round. And when you write them out, you're like, you know, sometimes I was like, it's really not that bad, Carrie. Why was it so bad in your head? Look what you just wrote. That is nothing that you can't get over. Right. That's the number one thing I think that can come out of journaling is something that seems so terrible and so like just, just, it's, so like devastating to you in your brain you can write it all down out on a piece of paper and like look at it and like that's what was bothering me you know that's what's that's what's got me you know in this mood and you're like you look at it and you see how silly that seems and like all right it's better you know and that's yeah you're like that's trivial stuff yeah and and that's not always the case but no i think more times than not that's the case yeah i would have to agree so I, you know, I didn't mean to, I, we, I think we kind of went off on a little tangent there. So I didn't mean to kind of break your, <laughs> your stream of thought, but, uh, but you were, you were kind of saying about how the, how the journaling helped you and how, you know, maybe getting it out and then starting to tell your story to more people. I think that's kind of where you were going with that. Yeah. And actually what I've started doing is, um, depending on what kind of speaking event that I have, um, I, I will ask them, you know, do you have a certain theme for the event? Is there a, a point that you really want to get across? And what I've started doing is I, I've been going back through my journal and there are so many lessons that I've learned that I wrote down and I will take one of those journal entries and I will actually turn it into my speech, my presentation, because there's always like every presentation needs to end up with, well, what did, what's the point of this? What did you learn? And I will just use that lesson and, and tailor it around the event. And like, it gives me an opportunity, I guess, to talk about things that I hadn't really talked about before that like, if you hadn't gone through a situation like this, they do seem trivial from the outside perspective. But when you're in that moment, like trivial things seem so large. Like my smallest accomplishment at times felt like, man, I had just hit a home run in Bush Stadium. That's how big it felt to me at that time because I had been striving so hard. You know, like like there, there was one, I will remember this. The first time that I was able to stand up and get my own bowl out of the cabinet I told everyone, I mean, I was texting everybody that day. I'm like, you're not going to believe what I did. And the only reason that that happened is because I forgot to ask everybody before they left for the day to get me out some plates and bowls and cups so that I could use them during the day while everybody was gone. And I was able to get up and do it on my own. And I was like, hot 
damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. But you got to take those small accomplishments as accomplishments and rewards and achievements. Otherwise, I, I mean, my situation just felt very sad at the time. Yeah. And it's those, those little wins like that get you, get you to the next day. You know, and I think that's a very valuable lesson we can all take from that is, you know, we've all been down at some point in our life, no matter how, how, no matter how, like you say, trivial it may seem, but those, those little wins like that, I call them, I call them tender mercies. That's what, that's kind of what I've come to know them as. And those are what gets us to, to the next day is, are those little tender mercies like that, that help us just, even when things are tough. And I remember, I think it was a church talk that, um, I listened to, and I think we, we listened to as a family and that was the first time I'd heard that. And it really makes a ton of sense because that's how I think, you know, God's paying attention is when things are tough, he's going to give you tough times. Obviously he gave you a really tough road, but he's going to give you those days where you can get up and get your own cereal bowl or whatever it may be. And I think that applies to all of us, you know, we're all going to be bad. Things are going to be bad for us at a certain point, but being able to look for those and be aware of those small, good moments when things are tough helps us get through the days. He helps us get through the worst days. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. So I, I've got to ask, what, where have you seen your biggest, imp- like say first that first time in that assembly, your first speech, your first talk, your first time being out in front, your first presentation to you today, where do you see the, I mean, I'm sure you've seen many improvements, just as many as, as so many people can and have that have tried something new. Where do you see your biggest improvement? Where do you see the thing that you've gotten better at the most? I'm not sure that's a a proper way to say that, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Like, uh, like myself speaking or Uh like in the response that I get? Maybe both. How about both? Okay. Um, I would say like the, the more you do anything, like there is one thing, um, I, I am so glad that our, our first three kids went through FFA and like had to do public speaking Mm -hmm. because I will swear to you, it will save them so much anguish in their adult life um, Mm -hmm. of like Mm -hmm. me having to go through this, you know, in my upper thirties, trying to figure out how to do public speaking. So for me, like my, one of my biggest growth points on that aspect is realizing that Hey, even if they do want to chew you up and spit you out, you're, you're still going to make it. Look what you've been through. Like nothing's going to happen bad to you for going out and, and sharing your story because somebody in that audience is listening and their life is changed on that specific day that they heard your words. So my personal growth through this whole process of public speaking, I mean, it was needed. I mean, and I guess that's what God saw was you know, you, you're not going to go anywhere unless you push yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm always been a very big goal setter. Mm -hmm. And I never knew that this is what I needed in my life. Like when I, when I look back, I'm like, okay, all of my career choices that I've made, my main purpose has always been, I need to help someone and I want to make sure that they feel better leaving me than whenever they came to me. Mm -hmm. And that I worked in the healthcare field, I worked in portrait photography, and then now speaking. And each of those, I'm like, man, 
that was my main goal this whole time. And so me, like that whole personal growth thing has been just, it's been such a wonderful, hard experience. I would never want to give it back. Now, I wish I could have gotten here a different way for sure. Right. Um, Of course. Yeah. But I I mean, I, I feel like I was having that conversation with God before this happened. And I was just, I was going 90 to nothing. And I remember saying, I need you to help me find a way to slow down. And either I was going too fast that I wasn't listening or I just didn't know how. And boy, I mean, that God, he, he made me come to a complete stop. So obviously I needed something um, to get my attention. And like on the speaking aspect, um, there's basically two, like my two biggest presentations is awareness on uh, distracted driving and then the farming with disabilities. And the first time that I had a student message me afterwards and their situation was nothing like mine was. Um, But I realized we were still going through the same challenges. I was like, it just, it, it just hit me that my situation can, I guess, um, like anybody can comprehend it, even though we're not going through the exact same thing. We can use the same tools and the and, and guidance and all that kind of stuff to get over those obstacles, even though I, I may be in a car crash and they're going through some kind of abuse at home. Um, it, wow. It's the same thing. And I'll never forget the first time that a teacher messaged me and said, Carrie, I do everything that that drunk driver does. And he said, I promise you, he said, from this day forward, I will never do that again. And it just like, I just sat there and stared at that screen. And I thought, my gosh, I wish Facebook didn't show them that I read the message yet because I can't respond to this for like two days. Right. And it was, it was just unbelievable that, that what I said impacted another adult in that manner. And whenever I do, whenever I speak to groups like farming groups, I sometimes always get a mix. And I'm telling you, I, I am 44 years old, but when I am sitting in front of that group and I see the old men farmers, I can see it in their eyes, Jason. They're like, what is this little girl going to tell me that I don't already know? <laughs> and I accept that challenge right back. And by the end of the presentation, I see them nodding their heads. And I was like, gotcha. I'm like, that was my goal today is for you to come over to my side, you know, and let me in. So I take little wins like that too. Cause not, you know, not everybody's going to voice what they learned or um, want to admit something. But if I can get that nod from someone that I can see is not open to what I'm going to say, I'm like, that's my win. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, man, that's huge. Like to think about like, it feels huge. Yeah, no, I get it. Because I'm I'm just starting on on this whole public speaking thing. But just in my time of when I'm teaching, I, I do a lot of I do a lot of teaching it um, in our in our church classes and our men's group at church, and I've tried to take on more of that 
as of late because I want to get more free practice for when I do start actually trying to get out in front of people more. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was, I know exactly what you're talking about when you see these guys. And especially for me, I'm, I'm, sta- I'm sitting in there with a, with a range, age range of, of, of men from the age of 20 all the way up to in their 80s. And to see some of these kind of stone faced men kind of like you hit home with them like yeah that's right and like yeah that's what I wanted <laughs> I mean I, I get that <laughs> that's right. yeah um, so but no what you said about the I, I really like what you, that you said that about FFA and how important the public speaking thing is see I'm like you I I didn't grow up and have F, we didn't even have FFA in Cuba I would have probably been definitely been in right. it if they had it but we didn't have it so I didn't have that chance and to see what Levi is doing he's my first one to go through FFA as a freshman and to see the value that he has the amount of research that he has to do and his really I see it in excuse me in his in his ability to talk to adults and have good conversations with adults how much this public speaking thing with F and just his first year, you know, and not it being a full-time focus of it either. Just, just these little bit of trying to get to know these things and just to see his interaction with folks and his ability to communicate to adults, to, to people my age um, is really, and I, I, I really, really believe that it's, his comfortableness about being out in front of people and talking that has served him well in that. And I'm, I'm so thankful because I was just thinking the other day, I said, man, you know, we all have our own cross to bear, but I was thinking, I really wish I would have had that experience with public speaking at an early age because this would have made what I'm doing here a lot easier. And it's a lot easier to learn oh, yeah. as kids than it is as you know adults in their 30s (laughs) oh absolutely because i mean as adults we already have that fear as a baseline in our system right yeah we'll do anything not to have to i i tell you i speak to a lot of ffa groups and i can tell that when there's an ffa student that i'm speaking to and like i i use it as an example right Right before, I mean, actually, I think it was the Wednesday before I spoke at the Missouri State FFA convention. I was at Washington High School and a gentleman come up to me and he was talking to me and I knew it. I knew 100%. And so I finally asked him, I said, hey, you know, are are you an FFA student? And he said, yes, ma'am, I am. And I was like, I knew it. And whenever I was on stage at that convention, like I, I was a nervous wreck. I forgot half of what I was actually supposed to say. And I made it up on the fly. And when I was, I was talking to the students and all of a sudden that conversation came up in my head and I used that as an example. And one, he said, yes, ma'am. Um, so the respect that FFA teaches you, um, was a parent and the second was just how articulate he was in conversation with me and i i think it's a phenomenal thing for students to go into oh or my experience gosh. yeah a hundred percent and um for so many reasons there's just there's so many good things that me not being an active part of it when i was growing up not to you know 
I, I see so much value and I'm learning, I'm learning so much. I like, I'm, I always tell people like I'm living vicariously through Levi, through his FFA experience that I'd never, <laughs> I never had the, the opportunity to right. get done because, um, you know, just of circumstances, but you know, we're both, we're both having fun on this journey of his. And I'm, I'm so thankful because I can see so many times in yeah. my life how would be beneficial. Yeah, agreed. I've seen it through my kids. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I do want to take. I want to give time to this because this is something I didn't really plan on talking about until just right before our conversation. We're going to switch gears here just a little bit. And you you had a blog post a few weeks ago, and it's funny to me that I just now found it. Um, I just now saw it. I saw it on LinkedIn of all places, and it was talking about opiate addiction and maybe just a little bit about your journey with that and how it can, you know, it, it doesn't know a, a race. It doesn't know a socioeconomic class. It's just like, it's just like any other sort of mental health disorder. You know, it knows no bounds. It doesn't know who it can affect. So I, I want to give enough time to you to, to talk to a little bit about that. Yes. Yes. So yeah, it took me nine years to, I guess, um, come out in the open with that. The only person who knew was my husband. Mm -hmm. And you know, the reason I, I think about that I didn't share is even though I guess like I wasn't mentally, I guess, addicted to Mm -hmm. the opioids, but I still felt the shame that my body had become dependent on them. And with the shame came the guilt and the judgment. And I thought, Oh my gosh, if I am, if I am putting all this on myself, what is everybody else going to think? It's going to be 10 times worse. And, you know, I remember thinking uh, when I, I was laying in a hospital bed in the middle of our living room and being in the healthcare field, I, I remember telling myself, okay, Carrie, you've got to keep an eye on this because you've seen patients come in with real injuries, real pain, and all of a sudden they're addicted to narcotics and you can't Mm -hmm. become one of those people. And the thing is, I came home, I wrote it down. This is what I came home on for the first few months was uh, Oxycontin and Oxycodone. And I was swapping those every two hours. I was on Valium, Neurontin, Norco and Flexeril and Visteril. Now, like when I look at that list, like even not being in the healthcare field, you're like, how, how do you even have any memories in your brain at all? Because there, there were so many days where my husband would say, did you eat today? And I'm like, I have no idea. Did you go to the bathroom? I can't remember. And, you know, and I had people who were babysitting me (laughs) while I was at work. And it got to the point, like I, my husband told me, um, my surgeon sent us home and he's like, really Carrie should still be in the hospital on Dilaudid drip, but insurance is not going to allow her to stay here anymore, even though she's going to be back in two weeks for another surgery. And he said, we're going to send her home with this medicine and she is still going to be in pain, but we're going to hope she doesn't remember it. And that was the goal. And my husband said he was just like open mouth. Like I cannot I cannot believe this is what is happening right now. And he had to make out an Excel spreadsheet to figure out and keep track of when I was supposed to get my next medicines. And we would have to set alarms um, day and night to keep on top of it. And it got to a point, 
I think it was around nine weeks where I was dry heaving all the time because like, I guess all of that medicine had kind of like eaten the lining of my stomach Mm -hmm. and it hurt so bad. And then with me being, I couldn't move. So I was pretty much flat in in the hospital bed, um, never getting up. The vertigo was insane. Like I couldn't even turn my head to the right without the room just, I mean, swimming. It was, it was that bad. And it was getting to the point where I was like, okay, the pain from all this medicine is almost competing with the pain of all my injuries. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I can keep doing this. And so I, I remember telling him, I'm like, get me off that Oxycontin. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I know that I need it, but it's like the devil. Like it's, right. I know it's gotta be bad. And and then I called my surgeon and I was like, you've got to get me something, something else. This is, it's not working. And here's me. I was like, I'm just going to go off of Oxycontin and Oxycodone, like cold Turkey. And I mean, I would like through the fog. And that's the only thing I can say. Like I was so foggy from day to day. One day I was like, Oh my gosh. I'm going through withdrawals. Mm. I'm like, uh, my body is dependent on this stuff. And it was, I was having, um, I mean, sweats, the irritability, I was shaking, uh, you know, and I, I was going through all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, my God, I am here. I am at this point. And so I told my surgeon that and, and he's like, Okay, let's do some change up on medicines. But then I would go in and have another surgery. And he's like, you've got to have either Oxycontin or Oxycodone, you're not ready to just be like on Norco. And so I, I went through all of that and I was pretty heavily dosed that whole first year and, you know, trying to wean off of it as I could in between surgeries. But I think I had like maybe six or seven surgeries that first year. So there really wasn't a whole lot of break. Right. And, you know, after that second year, I was able to, um, definitely dose down. And, and part of that is like, you just get used to the pain. Like that's just your normal now. So you can't remember what it was like without it. So then I didn't, I just didn't need a high dose anymore. And it gets to the point, even today, nine years later, like once your body is dependent that heavily on opioids, it always wants them. Mm-hmm. And every day, like if, if I need to take a pain pill at night, if I don't take one the next night, I have restless leg syndrome. I have irritability. I have a jitteriness in my whole body that it is so hard to control. And I'm like, this is why people just go take another one to get rid of what I'm feeling right now. And it's, it, it is a battle every day because I know that my body wants it mentally i know some days whether it's i'm in physical pain or whether it's i'm in mental pain i've i've said to myself you know if you just go take one all this will go away and for me like that red flag comes up and i'm like hell no no i will do everything possible that i can do to at least take the edge off to where i can deal with this before i go take another one of those pills Mm-hmm. And so I've been battling that for, you know, since that second year. And I only go get 
60 Norco a year. Really? And yeah, that's it. That's all I allow myself. And I only take one, like if I just cannot get a hold of it for like usually by the second or third day, but you got to be careful with that because if you go too long, you can't hardly get a hold of it anymore. Right. Um, You know, get it knocked back. But I, you know, I recently, when I wrote that blog and I, I don't know what it is, but I listened now to when I get these feelings that now is the time, you know, I, I'll take a deep breath and I'm like, oh my gosh, are you sure? You know, like I, I, in my faith, I just keep thinking, okay, that's God telling me either I'm supposed to talk about this now for my benefit or it's for somebody else's. And I, I got that feeling and I sat down and wrote it and I was just, I cried when I wrote it and then I sat there and I stared at it and I stared at it and I stared at it and I clicked publish and I was like, oh my Jesus, what's (laughs) going to happen now? I mean, what are people going to (laughs) do? Okay. Now, you know, cause people, there are some that are like, okay, Carrie's now, she's a drug addict. You know, that's what you think. Mm -hmm. They're going to call me a drug addict. And I'm like, well, that's not exactly how it is, (laughs) but yes, my body was dependent on these. It still wants them every day, even though I don't take them every day. I don't know what you call that. Cause I had somebody say, Carrie, I want to, I want you to understand you are not an addict. You're just dependent. And I'm you're like, fi- yeah, I mean, I you're physiologically dependent on it. I mean, that's what we would call it. You're physiologically yes. dependent on, on the, because I mean, the body has a certain level of what we call homeostasis. And when you, for that so long, when you were in that for two years, you know, constant getting, you know, getting narcotics pumped into you and it, it that became like you said that became your normal and your body is keeps wanting to try yeah. and return to that normal and that's its way of trying to get you back to that normal and 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 I'll I'll I'm going to jump in here just a little bit and put some of my own knowledge into this situation into how all this medication you know, what all these things that you were on, especially the Oxycontin, the Oxycodone and the Norco, those are all very, Oh yeah. Your perspective is going to be great. These are all very structurally similar to heroin. They are built on the same molecule. Um, They are all based on the opium molecule and, you know, through some biochemistry and bioengineering, you have offshoots that are heroin or uh, oxycodone or hydrocodone or oxymorphone, morphine, codeine, all these things. They're all basically have that same opium molecule. So I think, I think people need to keep that in the back of their head when they're thinking of this because we all are aware of how serious heroin is and how addicting and how the violent the withdrawals can be so to think that these things are even is somewhat similar to heroin um, really I feel like puts this kind of into perspective yeah and it's handed out very easily yes I mean I know that my situation warranted it but I could go I mean I could get way way more Norco today than I actually get and, no, and nobody and would bat an eye whenever you're absolutely I write down right. and all nobody of would even and nobody would symptoms. even blame but you. it's it's a conscious choice that I have to make every day and I think one benefit that I have is that I didn't get 
guess what you would call like the fun side, you know, the fun effects mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. that medicine, they made me very ill. They made me, they didn't make me feel good. They did lessen the pain, but I didn't get that euphoric place that I, I guess people talk about. I don't, I don't understand that part. Um, but I do know that I think my, my body wants to get that back, even though like, I don't remember mm -hmm. having that. So I'm pretty fortunate in that aspect that in my memories associated with it, it's, it just made me feel, made you feel sick. Like yeah. really, yeah, really, yeah. really sick um, instead of a I happy could, place. So that, I, that is, keeps me from going there. I had to take Percocet for a, uh, I had a gallbladder surgery once and it, all it did was like, all it did was make me sick. It, it, it I mean, it didn't. Oh, even, awful. Yeah. It didn't even help the pain that much that from what I could tell, it just, it just made me just violently ill. So, uh, I'm fortunate that that's how it made me feel. I feel like. Made you feel worse. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. It, a lot worse. I'd much rather have the pain, but you know, that's, that's yeah. me. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I just, yeah. So yeah, now that's out there. I, I want to commend you on writing that and making that being so open with that because addiction and, and, and physiological dependence on, on opioids, on chemicals is not always a choice. It's not. And I think we have this, we have this another stigma attached to people who are dependent on opioids. And there are people who absolutely use them recreationally. They use them to right. get high. They, I mean, I'm not discounting that. There are absolutely people who are like that. But there are folks who, like you, who, or and not just, I mean, I don't want to single you out. There's so many people like you where they've had some sort of event to, that caused them to absolutely need these medications to function for so long and to not be in absolute misery and you know that's their intended purpose but the the offshoot of that is and the downside to that is they be, their body becomes physically dependent on them and you don't want that a hundred percent you don't want that and nobody wants that nobody wants to have to you know be able to take these things just to be able to function but it takes a very, and that's why I think your story is so strong in that you were able to overcome those little wins and get through, you know, just start off by this, Hey, one day I'm going to not take some Percocet or some, some Oxycontin. And now to where you go 360 days and you only use 60 Norco. I mean, to go from where you were it taking all this medication to, to down to that, 60, 60 or so, um, Norco a year. I mean, I, that that's remarkable because not very many people make it that, that far. Yeah, they don't. And I, and I have seen that and that I think about that when I have those days where I'm like, man, it'd just be so easy to just go take another one. I'm like, man, but why would you want to start all over again? Yeah. You know, it just kind of, it just, I keep, I keep things in perspective as hard as some days can get with the pain. Cause that's definitely my number one battle is say, you, you know, I just gotta, I actually have to coach myself. I'm like, you've got this Carrie, you can do it. You just have to mentally be determined to, you know, stay this path. And 
I, I have a phenomenal support system um, at home that that helps me with that. And as, as long as we can stick together and, and keep the same goal, which should not be a problem, I feel that I can I can continue to do this, you know, this sort of path of treatment. So I think you said some, one thing you said there, and I think it no matter what your situation is, no matter what you're struggling with is, you said you have a support system and luckily for you, you yours is at home and there's people there who care about you and, you know, want the best for you, want you to succeed and want you to get, be the best version of yourself. And I think that's no matter whether it be addiction, whether it be mental health, whether it be whatever it may be, to have that that support system around you makes it so much easier. It makes it so much stronger, so much your, your, your likelihood of success is so much higher when you have that support system. Yeah, I, I agree. And I can feel it 100%. Yeah, no, that's a big, big part of success is, is having that support system. So, well, we're, we're running just a bit short on time. I can't believe how long this has been going on. I just looked down and, you know, we're close to an <laughs> hour in. So, I mean, that's cool. I'm glad when conversations go like this, but I'm um, also kind of get kind of sad when they get yes. over. So I'm a, what do you got going that, that you can talk about that you've got coming up? I don't want you to be, have to reveal anything that you don't want to, but uh, just see where folks can find you coming up. Oh, no, that's okay. Yeah, well, um, springtime is um, a big awareness month, so it's filled with a lot of uh, school awareness presentations. But what I'm really excited about is in April, I get to speak to my very first university. And uh, I, I've been trying to get this for, for over a year to, to get into some university. And um, I get to speak to the ag department, I forget exactly what conference it is, like SASE maybe, um, at Iowa State University in, in uh, April, and wow. I get to be their keynote speaker. So I am absolutely beyond the moon to get to do that. That's awesome. I mean, those are going to be some like a real deal farm kids up there. That's, that's a really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, cause they're 100% all in at that point, you know, that that's their career path. Um, so I get, I get to be in a very niche, um, like niche audience, uh, to speak to. So th those are my people. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, you and I have talked about this before and how getting, just being around ag people, being around people in that community makes us feel at home and just, it makes you feel better. And yeah. I'm so yeah. happy for you that you get to be in that kind of environment. That's, you know, because I know that's your, that's your kind of your happy place. It is. It, it's, um, it's, it's comfort. That's what I feel like. Awesome. Well, that, I mean, when you feel comfortable, I feel like that's when the, that's when the best things can happen you can have the best experiences. So, and people can, uh, people can really kind of relate to you then and get the best experiences themselves because they, they can feel that they know that they know when you're comfortable, they know when you're, at oh, yeah. your, you know, in being your real self. Right. <laughs> So, um, otherwise where, you know, I know we've mentioned your, your website and stuff in the, in the past, but, uh, where can, where can people find you online? Yeah. My biggest is, uh, on Facebook, it's, uh, Carrie Portel national speaker. And then 
Instagram is uh, CP underscore STY. And that's my blog. It's stronger than yesterday. Mm -hmm. And then I'm on LinkedIn uh, as myself. And I am on Twitter. I just don't do a whole lot there. It just doesn't feel as comfortable to me as, as the other ones. Yeah, but um, we talked about that. You last can follow time. me on Twitter. You just won't get as much action. Yeah. I'm, I, I, yeah. I, like they'll, I'll go through spurts where I use it a lot, but then I like, like this last, I don't think I've been on there in a week. So it's one of those things that you just, just kind of forget about it. I don't know. It's uh, I think it's good for, a, I think it's good for some people. Yeah. I it's think, just not highly used in our area. It's not. Yeah, you're right. It's not. And we talked about that last time, but uh, we, uh, I feel like it's, I feel like, I feel like where it's good is like, if you just have like a random thought to kind of sprout off and, you know, uh, right. sometimes I use it as like my own personal journal when I, if I just need to blow something off my chest and just write it down on there, that's, that's, that's kind of what I use Twitter for, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Twitter's uh, the, yeah. Twitter's the place to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now do you, do you, you have a website too, correct? I do. Yeah. That's where I send everybody who is, you know, looking to schedule me for an event or something like that. It's just carryportel.com. And I've got um, like, like speaking information on there, my blogs on there. And um, I have some like media videos. Cool. Cool. And do you, you still do some YouTube videos too? If I'm, if I remember right. Yes. I, I've been pretty slow since I had surgery um, right. recently, but hopefully I, I'm looking at next week, I'm able to get up and start doing a little bit more helping with the feeding again. So I'll, I'll get back on those. And believe me, let me tell you, when you get like YouTube groupies, they will find your email and they're like, Carrie, is, is everything okay? We haven't <laughs> seen you in a while. What's going on? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of keep, kind of keeps you accountable too. Which is which is nice. It does, yes. Yeah, cool. Well, cool. Well, Carrie, I think yeah. I appreciate you taking the taking your time and being flexible with your schedule. And uh, to where, you know, as we were recording this, I'm in kind of this single dad part of a life, just a short season when Carrie's out of town going to school for some things. So uh, it's been me on the weekends. It's been me at home with four boys and trying to make everybody happy is 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 a chore in itself so yeah uh, <laughs> i i appreciate yep. in fact i think i hear somebody screaming about something in the background right now so um I, I, there. <laughs> yeah well <laughs> I, yeah jason i enjoy your podcast so much and i i really love that you include me on it so i I'll, I'll be a supporter from the very beginning you know and, and always will be well i appreciate that because when I had this idea and you were one of the first people who came to my mind, in fact, you might've been the first person. And because of my familiarity with your situation and, you know, our friendship beforehand and um, I, I, I appreciate your support. And I, I'd like to say more than, you know, but you're one of the people who I think really does understand what that kind of support is like. So uh, it, it is very much yeah, appreciated. Definitely. And we'll right have to, back at you. We'll have we'll have to do we'll have to do it again sometime. I'm I'm sure we'll never. I, I hope so. Yeah. So well, cool. You're my you're my number. You're my second repeat guest. So uh, I, I I feel like you uh, that that's that's a very exclusive club. <laughs> I'm in the big time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Carrie. Okay. Thanks, Jason.
Next week on the show, we continue with our series on Missouri producers and influencers. Um, next week, we have Kylie Epperson. Kylie is one half of the Midwest FarmWise podcast. She is from Vandalia, Missouri, or outside Vandalia, Missouri. Her, her family has a hog and um, row crop operation up there, and uh, her and I actually got to meet in person for the first time at Commodity Classic uh, last week. So really excited to get Kylie on here and get her perspective as both a, a farmer and a farmer's wife and some of the some of the stresses that come with that. Uh, really excited to, to have Kylie on the show. But uh, thanks for listening to this today. It's been a pleasure to bring it to you, and I look forward to everyone getting to hear next week's as well. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.